Scripture lesson for this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Listen now for God's Word to you. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all of his possessions and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant also went out and came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then this fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debts. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him, and he said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your hearts. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So sometimes I think that Jesus' parables should come with warning labels on them. Um, And this is certainly one of those parables. Uh, It looks a lot more like the Godfather, like a mob movie, than it does a vision of the kingdom of God, right? We have this Lone shark king, we have servants shaking each other down for the debts that's owed, kneecaps getting hit with baseball bats, you know, the whole sort of of thing. And it makes you wonder, what in the world is this parable telling us about what the kingdom of God is like? And this parable is told in response to a question that Peter has about the nature of forgiveness, and it comes in in the course of this larger discussion about life as the church. How are we supposed to conduct ourselves together as a community? And that question has seen the question asked of who is the greatest among, among us? Who is the most important? And Jesus says, the, the greatest among you is the one that is considered the least, the one that, that nobody notices. That is who the most important is. And then, of course, any necessary discussion on the nature of the church includes a discussion how to handle conflict when it arises among the body, because apparently church conflict is as old as Jesus himself. And so this question of handling conflict and infighting when it takes place, how is that supposed to be handled? That comes up in this discussion. And then we come finally here to this question of forgiveness. And Peter wants to know how often he should forgive. Where is the line? Where's the limit? And it's a really good question, isn't it? All of us have been hurt in one way, shape, or form in this life. And and we want to be forgiving. We, like Peter, watch Jesus. We notice Jesus. We see him as gracious and compassionate. And we want to exemplify those same things in our lives. But what happens when that person does the same thing over and over and over again? 
there's a, a time, right, Jesus, when forgiveness, it just isn't an option anymore. We can stop forgiving. And, and so Peter gives what he thinks is a really gracious and generous answer. He says, how about seven times, Jesus? But Jesus is always stretching us and challenging us. And, he, and there's a, a question about, his trans, about the translation of his answer. It's either 77 times or 70 times seven, uh, which would be 490 times. But the point is, if you're keeping count... You've missed the nature of what forgiveness is all about. What Jesus says is that forgiveness should be endless, that it should be this bottomless well that we continually draw from. But that in and of itself is already a challenging thing, isn't it? And then we get this strange parable. Remember I said last week that Jesus' parables have these absurd characters that act in unrealistic ways. They're sort of exaggerations of the real thing. And so we have this parable of a, of a king who's looking over the books seeing what his servants owe him. And this was common in the Mediterranean world. You'd have kings, you'd have rulers who would have these sort of low-level agents who were responsible for making sure that wealth continued to flow upwards towards the king. And, and so the, the king is looking over the books and he comes to the account of one of his higher-level agents. Let's call him the CFO. And the CFO has some serious discrepancies with his account, right? He's been maxing out the corporate credit cards. He's been overdrawing from his budget. And he has accumulated a debt of 10,000 talents. And a talent in that society was the equivalent of nearly 20 years of wages for the average worker. So this man owes nearly 200,000 years wages. It's almost a comically large and unimaginable number. It's billions of dollars in today's economy, right? And uh, we could speculate and wonder, how in the world did he accumulate that kind of debt? What was he spending his money on? Uh, Was he nefarious? Was he just bad with his money and therefore shouldn't have been the CFO? But the point is clear. This man has a debt that he can never hope to repay. So the king has him brought in, and he does some, already our hackles might be a little up with what the king decides to do, but he does what is common in that society. When people are in debt and they can't repay it, they are sold into slavery, and that is a way of repaying the debt. And that's the king's plan. But this CFO falls down at his feet and says, be patient with me, I'll pay you back everything I owe. But we all know that's an impossibility. The king knows that's an impossibility. But the king in this weird moment, this unrealistic moment, remember this is an unrealistic character that Jesus likes to include in his parables, has this this moment of pity and cancels the entire debt. You know, just forget about that 200,000 years of wages, right? And you'd think it'd have some impact on this CFO as he goes out of the throne room, but it really makes it no further than the door when he finds one of his subordinates who owes him a debt of 100 denarii, which is roughly uh, four months' wages. Not a small number, but one we can actually imagine, right? And he shakes him down, he flips him upside down like some schoolyard bully looking for the milk money and says, pay me back what you owe me right now. And that servant says the same thing the CFO said to the king. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back all that I owe you. The CFO is unmoved and he has him thrown in prison until he can pay back his debt. And and the the fellow servants of the king are, are watching all of this take place. And they report back to the king what happened. And the, the king drags the CFO back in and he's irate. He's red and sweaty in the face about what's happened. And, he's, and he says, shouldn't you have been merciful with your fellow servant the way I was merciful with you? And he reinstates the 10,000 talent debt and has him thrown in prison to be tortured. And, 
Jesus says that this is how God's going to treat every one of us if we don't forgive from our hearts. And this is what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says. Um, it's a challenging parable. It's challenging for a lot of reasons. And it's a, a good reminder to us that, that Jesus' parables are not always simple allegories. There's not always this one-to-one comparison between the characters of the parable and us and God. That parables, in the words of one scholar, are these stories that are sometimes um, exaggerated, they're uh, sometimes exciting, and, and they have these, these ways of trying to help us to think more critically about a particular issue. And in this case, this parable is designed in such a way to help us to think more critically about the nature of forgiveness. And Jesus draws from something that everybody in that society would have experienced, debt. But the people Jesus preached to were deeply indebted people. So you have the the Roman occupation government that is taxing the people and it's executed by the tax collectors, these Jewish people who are in cahoots with the Roman government, and they're collecting more than is required and they're getting exceptionally rich exploiting the people. And the the Roman government, the Roman Empire, when they conquered uh, Jewish Palestine 60 years or so before Jesus was born, they required all of their territories to pay a tribute and the one that was put upon the Jewish people was an amount of 10,000 talents. So Jesus is not making this number up. It's coming from the experience of just a couple of generations before. And that number was so burdensome that when Julius Caesar becomes emperor, he lowers the amount so that they could actually repay it. Uh, So these are people who are in debt in all kinds of ways. They have to pay for the land that they want to farm. They have to pay... Uh, to fish on the lakes. You know, Jesus has all of these fishermen in his company of disciples, and, you know, they're not just fishing on these public access lakes, right? They're, they're corporate fishermen. They have corporate licenses to do this, and those, those licenses were so expensive that it required creating these little cooperatives to fish and to make money. So you get these little cooperatives like Peter, James, and John. And then they had their religious dues. The the religious elite, the religious establishment was also corrupt and and pinching and squeezing the people for everything they could get. And, you know, we have that little story in the Gospels where we have the widow who brings her last two copper coins, these two worthless coins, and she puts them into the temple treasury, and we've turned it into this cute little stewardship sermon. But it's really this example, the ways that they were constantly squeezed for everything that they had, this kind of tit-for-tat society everybody owed somebody something else. And so among these sort of revolutionary factions that developed during Jesus' time and even after him, at the top of their agenda when kicking the Romans out was to redistribute the land and to cancel all debts. And so 35, 40 years after Jesus, we have what's known as the Jewish War, this Jewish revolt. And one of the first things that they do is they go into the temple in Jerusalem where all the record of debts are kept. Imagine that, the record of debt being kept in your place of worship. Um, (laughs) And they burn all of those records. So Jesus, I think, is trying to get his audience to imagine what life might be like if they were freed from those things that, that burdened them, those things that sort of held them captive. What might their lives look like? What might their future look like? What might their society and their relationships look like if they they practiced forgiveness? He's using this this well-known example. And I 
I think for Jesus, it always begins with understanding God as loving and gracious. And this is why I really want to put a warning label on a parable like this one, because we have to be very careful to not equate all authority figures in these parables with God. If this is what God looks like, the king in this parable, I'm not sure it's a God that I actually want to serve. You know, that God looks more like Don Corleone than, uh, than the God that, I, that I've met and understood in Jesus. I think it has to be said that we are not debtors to God, that our sins and our wrongdoings, our mistakes, they are not debt that we owe to God. God is loving and gracious. And and in the words of one of my seminary professors, it was the assurance of pardon today. He said this all the time. I think he wanted us to actually believe it. Uh, He said, there is more grace in God than there is sin in us more grace in God than there is sin in us, that God is always loving and gracious, and that forgiveness is freely, freely given. There is more grace in God than there is sin in us. And sometimes it's true that our mistakes, the wrongs that we have done, they can hold us captive. We hold ourselves captive by those things that we've done wrong in the past, and sometimes we are our own worst enemy, and and sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. And who Jesus wants to understand God as, as someone who helps us to unburden ourselves from those things, that God is loving and gracious. And and the hope is that as we connect more deeply and more sincerely with a God of grace and a God of forgiveness, that we would be able to then in turn practice that forgiveness in our daily lives, that we would turn from that moment and forgive those who have wronged us. There seems to be this the symbiotic relationship between the ways that that God forgives us and the ways that we are called to forgive one another. Pastor Gretchen said it in the children's time. We prayed every week, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's the the translation choice the Presbyterian Church has chosen, and I really wish they had chosen a different one. Um, Simply translated, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our wrongs and our mistakes those moments where we have failed to be who we are called to be, as we seek to extend that grace to other people. But of course, that's really hard, isn't it? I think one of the things this parable really shows is just how hard forgiveness can be. That just because we have received this extravagant gift of grace doesn't mean it's any easier for us to forgive someone for the wrongs that they have done to us. The truth of the human experience is that we have all hurt other people and other people have hurt us. The truth of the human experience is that we all have wounds that are of varying degrees and are in various stages of healing. Some of us have been hurt in very serious and in very real ways. Someone tried to to violate your humanity. Others of us have been hurt by those words that were said in childhood or even in, in adulthood that have kind of stuck with us and they've defined who we are, defined us as not good enough or worthy enough or, or smart enough or working hard enough or whatever it might be. And we, we live our lives from that place of woundedness. And we know what not forgiving can do to us, the impact that it can have on our lives, the ways we can live in resentment and anger and bitterness and how it can sometimes consume us in ways that are big and in ways that are small. The easiest and simplest example of that is, and I can't be the only one who's had this experience, I'm laying in bed, I finally shut my eyes for the night, and suddenly something someone said to me years ago pops into my head, and suddenly I'm up awake brooding. And what makes it even more frustrating 
is I know that that person who said that probably hasn't thought about it in years and they're sleeping soundly. <laughs> we know those ways that uh, holding on to bitterness can harm us, it can consume us. There's a phrase that the younger generation uses, and I say younger generation because they're younger than me and they would probably cringe at me saying this, but they say, don't let someone live in your head rent-free. Don't let someone live in your head rent-free. Holding on to bitterness, holding on to anger, not forgiving is letting someone live in your head rent-free, and those brain squatters can be incredibly difficult to get out. And one of the reasons why they're so difficult to get out is because when we forgive, we feel like we're letting somebody off the hook. We want to hold them accountable. We want them to be responsible for the wrong that they've done. We feel like when we forgive sometimes that we're saying it's okay. One of the great lessons I learned about forgiveness was watching my mom uh, raise my siblings and I. And I think I've shared this story with you all before, but it's one I, I think about constantly when it comes to what forgiveness is and defining what forgiveness is. And um, you know, there were, the, there were the four of us, and we would spend a lot of time together, like, in the summertime. And by this time of year, right before school starts, we'd spent way too much time together. And we were fighting and arguing with each other. And we'd say something snotty or mean-spirited to the other one. And my mom would come in and say, hey, apologize to your sister. Apologize to your brother. And we'd mumble some apology. And say, it's not a real apology. Try again. And the offended party would be laughing and smiling because their sibling got in trouble. Um, and then we would, they would apologize, and we'd say, oh, it's okay. And my mom would say in those moments, don't say it's okay. Say, I forgive you. Forgiveness is never saying it is okay. That we have been hurt in, really well, in very real ways and how we've been hurt, it was not okay what happened to you. But forgiveness is this experience of saying, I can be okay. I think that forgiveness sometimes is not so much about the other person and alleviating their guilt and their wrongdoing. It's about alleviating and freeing ourselves from the ways that they try to chain us and hold us captive. Forgiveness is never saying that it's okay. Forgiveness might mean a lot of different things to any number of us, depending on the nature of the ways that you've been harmed. Uh, forgiveness for some of us might mean reconciliation, a renewed relationship. You know, thinking about my siblings, it was always about a renewed relationship because the things we said to each other were snotty, but they weren't lifelong detriments to ourselves. I think the goal is always reconciliation wherever that is possible, but I also know that depending on the nature of the way somebody hurts you, reconciliation is not always possible, and it's not always advisable. But for some of us, it might be that sort of thing. Forgiveness for some of us might mean letting go of the expectation of an apology that you rightly and justly deserve, but it's never going to come. But you are making that choice to be okay. Forgiveness might be this moment-by-moment -moment choice where you realize you've forgiven that person, you said, I'm moving on, and yet they, like those brain squatters, they creep back in. And you might have to make that decision to forgive again and again, and again. But it is always your choice to forgive. I think I need to say that with all of the emphasis I can muster because I think this is where, where Christian theology has sometimes been very harmful. It has made forgiveness an obligation and it has forced people to forgive when they are not ready to forgive. I read uh, one scholar, one biblical scholar this week who said, sometimes Christians have forgiven too much too quickly. 
that we have not taken the time to process our hurt and process our pain, and we need that time. Wounds and injuries, they take time to heal, and we need that. Forgiveness arises from the heart, Jesus says, and it takes time to get there. You may not be ready to forgive just yet, but that's where connecting with the God of grace and a God of love can be so important, helping us along the way as we forgive, as we seek to forgive. Forgive again and again, Jesus says, because imagine what your life might look like if you weren't held captive by the past, if you weren't defining yourself by the injury someone tried to cause to you, Forgive again and again because imagine what your life might be like if you didn't feel like you were lugging around a 10,000 talent debt you felt like somebody else owed to you. Imagine what your life might look like if you didn't have someone living in your head rent-free. Forgive again and again and again, Jesus says, because forgiveness is healing. Forgiveness is wholeness. Forgiveness is the, the grace and the love of God flooding into our lives. Forgiveness is a a better future, not chained by the past. Forgiveness, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of God is all about. Thanks be to God. Amen.